So today we are beginning a uh, brand new series on the person of the Holy Spirit. And as you can see, we came up with a really creative title. Um, I have to admit, I feel a little um, bit overwhelmed kind of tackling this uh, subject because trying to give you a comprehensive understanding of the Holy Spirit is like standing up here and saying, okay, today I'm going to explain God to you. Right? Scripture tells us that we cannot fully understand God. And the reason for that is he is an infinite God who lives outside the dimensions of time and space, while we are finite beings who are limited by time and space. It is impossible for the finite to fully understand and contain the infinite. But God has given us limited revelation of himself through his word, through his son Jesus, and through the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And so we can actually have a relationship with him. And it is that revelation that he has given us that we can actually understand. I also know that there are, there's a lot of misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit among believers. Um, and that's due to false teaching. It's due to preconceived notions. And even denominational, denominational posturing. I mean, if you study the different denominations and what they believe and, and, and why so many of them splintered off from other denominations, you discover that the Holy Spirit was at the center of those denominational divisions. Not all of them, but some of them. So since there is so much misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit, I feel it's important that we equip you with an understanding of how the scripture reveals who he is and his role in the Godhead and how he ministers in and through your life as a believer in the new covenant. And for us to accomplish that, the best place for us to begin today is with the theology of the Holy Spirit. Johnny already gave you that blank. The theology of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that that word... For some of you, that sounds like a really boring word, um, and you might prefer more practical teaching and argue that what we do and how we live is more important. And yes, what you do and, and how you live are vitally important, for without fruit and, and action, this, all the theology of the world amounts to nothing, right? But you can't do and live without believing, you can't do and live rightly without believing rightly. Right? Um, because what you believe absolutely determines what you do and how you live. In other words, good theology will lead us to live godly lives. But bad theology will always point us in the wrong direction. Okay? So today we're going to begin our series by grounding our understanding of the Holy Spirit in what Scripture has to say about who He is and what He does in and through our lives. And this will sort of serve as the foundation for the rest of the series. Okay? Y'all with me? Alright. One of the first things we need to understand about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is a person. I often hear people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. Or a thing. Or a force that we can sort of use for our benefit as we need it. But he is not an indistinct power, or thing. 
And I get the, the allegorical imagery that popular science fiction tries to communicate, but contrary to what you might think, the Holy Spirit is not the force. Right? You cannot use him to flawlessly fly your X-wing fighter or to use your, your lightsaber with precision. Right? The Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead just as much as Jesus is a person of the Godhead. Look at what Jesus says to his disciples on the last night he was with them. John 14, verse 16 and 17. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. How long is uh, never? Never. (laughs) It's a long time, right? Never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Here the New Testament uses the word advocate to describe the Holy Spirit's relationship with us. But other translations of this verse use the word helper or counselor or comforter or encourager which clearly are role, are active roles of a person, right? Not a thing. A thing can't encourage you. And it can't counsel you. And an indistinct power cannot comfort you. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is not an it. Look again what Jesus said in that last sentence of verse 17. He says, but you know him because he lives with you now, and later will be in you. See, Jesus wasn't being generous when he used the personal pronouns he and him rather than it. He was talking about the Holy Spirit as he is, a person. But even more convincing is when he, what he said, when he says to the disciples, you know him. How could anybody possibly think that the Holy Spirit is a thing or some indistinct force, with those words, you know him. And yet, as difficult as he is to understand, and as mysterious as he is, we have to understand that he is a person of the Godhead, just as Jesus is a person of the Godhead. Which leads us to the next foundational point, the Holy Spirit is God, just as Jesus is God. One of the most difficult things to understand about God is his triune nature. And we've talked, about, talked before about how the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept is there. So we made up that word Trinity to sort of describe the nature of God. Um, that he is three distinct persons, yet he is one God. And I've heard many people use um, illustrations, try to illustrate his triune nature with everyday things like an egg, right? Have you, anybody ever seen that? Where, where um, they'll say, well, God is like, you know, his, his triune nature is like this egg that has three parts, yet is one egg. So God is three parts, yet he is one God. I've also heard people try to describe his triune nature uh, with water, right? That, that just as water can take on three different forms, a liquid, a solid, and a vapor, God can take on three different forms as well, um, but still be one God. And while those serve as 
cute little metaphors for an unexplainable mystery. The fact is, God is not like an egg or water. Right? He is not just made up of three parts. And he is not, he does, he does not just take on three different forms. God is unlike anything. He is incomprehensible. He is incomparable and unlike any other being. He is outside of our realm of, ex- of existence, and therefore he is outside our ability to categorize him. And while analogies might be helpful to sort of understand certain aspects of him, we have to be careful not to think that those, alleg- that those allegorical analogies encapsulate his nature. Does that make sense? The very best that we can do is exercise our faith to believe what Scripture says, trusting that God has given us all the revelation we can handle in our finite state and look forward to the day when we become like him and see him as he really is. And there are several Scriptures where we see all three persons of the Trinity at work. Like when Jesus was baptized in Matthew chapter 3. It says, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. I love this verse. It's so cool because you get to see all three persons of the Godhead at work here. All right, And then there are passages of scripture that use the names of the different parts of the Godhead interchangeably. Okay, so we're talking, we're still talking about how the Holy Spirit is God just as much as Jesus is God, right? Um, like when God prophesied about the coming Messiah through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah said this, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is called Counselor, which is a term that's generally reserved for the Holy Spirit in the Old or the New Testament, right? But then he's also given the names that are typically used of God. Everlasting Father and Mighty God. Isn't that amazing? So, and, but then when it comes to establishing the fact that the Holy Spirit is God, just as much as Jesus is God, there are verses like, uh, when Ananias and Sapphira um, deceived, tried to deceive the apostles in Acts 5. It says, Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was yours to give, to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us but to God. So here he uses the terms Holy Spirit and God interchangeably. Okay? So even though the triune nature of God is something we cannot fully understand, it is a reality that we, reality that we have to embrace um, as much as Scripture reveals. Okay? The next thing, the Holy Spirit is eternal and holy. I think most of us know the fact, know this, that the Holy Spirit is eternal, but I've actually met people 
who make the mistake of, thi- of thinking that the Holy Spirit had his beginning on the day of Pentecost. Because they associate the Holy Spirit with what happened in Acts chapter 2. Um, but because he is God, he is eternal. Which means he has no beginning or no end. And nowhere is this more evident than in creation. Like there are many who think, you know, that, that make the mistake of attributing creation to just God, right? Um, but scripture tells us that all three persons of the Godhead were there at creation and even had a part. Like in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then, in the Gospel of John, we see where Jesus was involved. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning... The word already existed, which means what? It was eternal, right? The word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God, which is kind of mind-boggling, right? He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. So John uses this kind of, he he kind of speaks cryptically using this, term the word referring to this eternal being and then in verse 14 he lets us in on the secret so the word became human and made his home among us he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory the glory of the father's one and only son so this person this this eternal being who is present at creation and nothing was made without him is Jesus. He was there at creation. So God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all existed before creation. They are eternal beings, which means they have no beginning and they have no end. And again, that's difficult for us to wrap our brains around, but we have to believe it, or we can believe it by faith, right? And then there's the book of Hebrews, which spells out for us the Holy Spirit's eternal nature. Hebrews 9.14 Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal Christ, or for the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Here we see another verse where all three persons of the Godhead are present, but in this verse, the Holy Spirit is specifically called the eternal Spirit. Spirit. So he is eternal and he is holy. And that kind of goes without saying, right? Because we call him the Holy Spirit, right? But consider this amazing fact. Because the Spirit is holy and he dwells within us, God views our bodies as holy sanctuaries. Just Let that soak in for a minute. God views these things we walk around in as holy sanctuaries. Too often we view our bodies with disdain as sort of the source of of sin and our fallenness. Yet they're precisely where the Spirit of God chooses to dwell. 
we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. So the Holy Spirit is, is not only holy, he is eternal. And we see that he actively used people during the Old Covenant. Time and time and time again, all throughout the, Holy, or the Old Testament, we see examples of where the Holy Spirit came upon someone for a specific task or to fulfill a certain leadership role. And one such example is King Saul. Y'all remember King Saul? He was the king before David, right? First um, Samuel 10.10 tells us that when Saul and his servants arrived at Gibeah, they saw a group of prophets coming toward them. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy. But one day, later on in his arrogance, Saul completely disobeyed God, and it cost him his position as king. And God sent the prophet Samuel to tell him that he was about to lose the throne, and that God was going to raise up another king to take his place. And in Samuel 16, we see Samuel anointing David to be the next king. Verse 13 says, So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And then the very next verse tells us that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Then, many years later, David screwed up royally by having an affair with a married woman by the name of Bathsheba. She ended up getting pregnant, and to try and cover up his sin, he ultimately had her husband killed. So God sends the prophet Nathan to confront him in his sin, and David writes Psalm 51 after that, and in that he pleads for God's forgiveness, but he also says this, Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. So what we know about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in and through people of the Old Covenant is that it was selective. right? God would choose certain people for certain tasks. It was temporary. It was basically just for as long as the task existed. And it was very task-oriented. Okay, That's pretty much how the Holy Spirit operated in and through people during the Old Covenant. But centuries later, God prophesied through a guy named uh, Joel. And he, he said this. He said that in the New Covenant, it would be much different. He says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my Spirit even on servants, men and women alike. Which brings us to the next foundational point. The Holy Spirit lives inside those who have placed their trust in Christ. You know, it's amazing to think that the Spirit of God, this holy eternal being is cool with living inside of us. Again, we have this tendency to view ourselves with disdain because of our sinful fallenness, but through the ministry of Jesus, that's not who we are anymore. Right? Galatians 4 tells us that when the right time came, 
God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. It is only through the blood of Christ that God was able to adopt us as his children because he credited Jesus' righteousness to us, right? And it is only through the ministry of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, confirming with our spirits that we can that we are indeed God's children and they can enjoy a personally intimate relationship with the God of the universe. Because Jesus' righteousness was credited to us, the Holy Eternal Spirit of God was able to come inside and take residence in us. A reality that Paul was trying to get into the heads of the Corinthians in his first letter. 1 Corinthians 6. He's like, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. But not only does he dwell within us, his indwelling is permanent. Right? We don't have to worry like David did and cry out, Oh God, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Because he is the guarantee that God will give us the eternal inheritance he has promised. He is the guarantee that God will give us the eternal inheritance he has promised. Look at what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He says, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth. The good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. And what did Jesus say to his disciples, that verse we read read earlier? He said he was going to send the Spirit and he would what? Leave you? Never. Never leave you. Right? He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom you promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. I love the way Paul describes the spiritual truth later on in the book of um, 2 Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians. He says, It is God who enables us along with you, to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us, and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he's promised to us. So the Holy Spirit is the down payment, the first installment, the guarantee that God will give us the, the eternal inheritance that he has promised his children. I 
was kind of hoping for a little more excitement than that. <laughs> I mean, think about it this way. What if you came home tomorrow after work, got your mail, you opened up the letter, and it was a letter from an attorney saying that you have been named the sole heir of the Bill and Melinda Gates estate. How would you respond? You'd be like, yes! Woo-hoo! Right? You'd be freaking out, right? You'd be so excited. How much more so with God? I mean, their estate is limited, right? You can put a number on it. You cannot put a number on God. It's infinite, right? Look at what, he's, what it says in Peter, 1 Peter. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance. Priceless. You can't put a number on it. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Isn't that awesome? But being the guarantee of our inheritance is not all that he does as he resides inside us. The Holy Spirit leads us to live godly lives which produces spiritual fruit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 25. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. A few weeks ago, we were talking about how, when Jesus, how Jesus was teaching us to pray. And one of the things that he taught us to pray was to ask for God's help to live in such a way that we bring honor and glory to him. You guys remember that? Um, well, this is what the Holy Spirit does, right? He's our helper. He's the one who helps us to live lives that bring honor and glory to him because he leads us in the way that we should live. And it is our job to follow his leading in how many parts of our lives? Every, right? Follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And what naturally flows out as we do that is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right? So many people try to do these things, but that's putting the cart before the horse, isn't it? It's the fruit that naturally comes out as we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, right? So, he lives inside of us, guaranteeing our internal inheritance. He leads us to live godly lives, which produces spiritual fruit. And he prays for us in accordance with God's will. Romans 8, 26 and 27. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example... We don't know what God wants us to pray for. 
But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the, and the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's will. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? I mean, who better to pray for us than the Holy Spirit of God who knows what's really going inside of, on inside of us because he lives there, right? I mean, he knows far better what's going on inside of us than even we do. And he prays for us in accordance with God's will. We also know from God's revelation of the Holy Spirit in his word that the Holy Spirit has emotions. Now, emotions aren't something that we typically attribute to God or think about, right? Um, But it stands to reason. Like if we're made in the image of God and he created us with emotions then it stands to reason that he has emotions, right? Um, And we get a couple of examples of this in Scripture. One example is in Zephaniah 3.17. This says, The Lord your God is in your midst. The Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. With singing, he will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that, I mean, that's amazing, right? Have you ever pictured God that way? Rejoicing over you with singing? That's pretty amazing, right? How awesome is that? So that's a positive example of of God's emotions, but we're also given a negative one as well. Ephesians 4.30, it says, And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. Some versions read, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not bring sorrow, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. See, when we don't follow the leading of the Holy Spirit who resides inside of us, and live in a way that brings dishonor to God rather than honor, then it grieves him, makes him sad. And as a parent, you know this all too well, right? Like you raise your kid to live a certain way, and then they go off and they live totally contrary to that. It, it, it breaks your heart, right? It grieves you. It makes you sad. When we cause, we cause him sadness when we continue to live in our sin. I mean, in light of the fact that the blood of Jesus set us free from the power and the bondage of sin, and that the Holy Spirit is constantly working within us to lead us to walk into that freedom, when we choose to remain in bondage to sin, it makes him sad. It grieves his heart. And then finally... All of our spiritual gifts come from him. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning with verse 1. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worship, or swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, 
And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. God works... Or, yeah, there are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but is the same God who does the work in all of us. How many of you know uh, what your spiritual gifts are? How many of you don't know what your spiritual gifts are? How many of you once knew and forgot? <laughs> How many would like to uh, go through a spiritual assessment and discover your spiritual gifts? Okay, we'll set that up in the next few weeks. Um, you have certain spiritual gifts. And the Holy Spirit gave them to you. That was, that's one of his roles. He gave you those spiritual gifts. And it behooves you to know what your gifts are so that you can operate in them. Now, this is by no means a exhaustive theology of the Holy Spirit, right? As I said in the beginning, it's overwhelming to stand up here in 30 minutes and try and explain the Holy Spirit. But this sort of covers some of the main points that we're going to build on over the next several weeks, or the next few weeks, um, and, and sort of serves as a foundation um, for where we're headed. Uh, but there's so many other things, right? There's, we, haven't, we didn't even talk about how the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit about when something is true or not. And Jesus even told us, you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. He didn't say you don't need anyone to teach you. He said you don't need anyone to tell you, what, tell you what's true because we have the Holy Spirit in us bearing witness. We didn't even talk about how um, he's an enabling power, right? The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. And that's the Holy Spirit. Uh, we didn't talk about how he makes us witnesses and what the, all that means. Um, but these are some of the things we'll talk about as we go on as well. But this is sort of just a foundation that we can build on for the next few weeks. All right? You guys good? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word that brings so much truth and enlightenment to us. Lord, I know for me over the years, I have had to unlearn so many things, either from false teaching or misconceptions. And Lord, we just want to build on the truth of your word. We want to start with a solid foundation of what your word actually says and not make it say more than what it actually says. Lord, help us to understand who your spirit is better than ever. I pray that even that you would bring to light some of the misconceptions that we had and, and that you would help us to see, God, that, that the Holy Spirit is, is an amazing part of the Godhead, just like you, our Heavenly Father, and just like your Son, Jesus, that you are in perfect unity with each other and, and, and that you are eternal. And, and Lord, I just pray that you would help us to understand better than ever who this person is who lives and resides inside of us. I think we've all been guilty of taking him for granted. Lord, I just ask that you would help us to not do that anymore. That you would help us to acknowledge who he really is and what he does as he lives and resides inside of us. Help us, God, to 
cause him to rejoice over us and not grieve him. Help us, God, to be sensitive to his leadings and walk in the freedom that Jesus gave us through his blood. Help us, God, as we move forward to understand not just in our head, but that we would understand you give us revelation knowledge of who you are in the person of the Holy Spirit residing within us. How you work, how we yield to you, and how we cooperate with the Holy Spirit's role inside of us. Thank you, God, so much for all these things. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen.